Hey guys, we have an incredible podcast coming your way. We're going to teach you exactly how to look great, feel strong at your ideal body weight. How? By teaching you about the latest innovations and the discoveries about hormones, the herbs, the natural approaches that will help you to optimize your stem cells, your mitochondria. Please stay tuned. This is a show you must listen to. We don't need these fancy drugs. We have a better introduction of probiotics, prebiotics, plant fibers, all more effective and safer than antibiotics. Antibiotics alter our microbiome. We need diversity. And we have the sickest population in the history of the world. Okay, I promised you I'd be back. We're talking about the brain connection to the gut, the microbiome. Let's jump in with Dr. Robert Martindale, and we'll follow up with Dr. B. Here we go. You know that, in fact, recently shown that we can give the gut microbial access involved in behavior, neurogenesis, neuroplasticity. We can give the right probiotic and see those changes. We can see significant changes in microglia cells. We now have human data on microbiome. There's a data now, Prozac versus probiotics, and they have almost identical on decreasing depression. Okay? So that data, anxiety and stress, depression, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder, ADHD and others. Remember that 90% of the fibers in your vagus nerve, where we talk about the 10th cranial nerve, 90% of those fibers are going to the brain, not coming from the brain. So what does that tell us? This, remember that the vagus nerve innervates through almost the transverse and left colon, the whole right colon. So it's taking all this information, 90% is being transported to the brain. Well, you can see what happens through the, the this Microbiome affects the brain through vagal stimulation, through all the neurotransmitters and metabolites that the bacteria produce, as well as these microbial-associated molecular patterns, the so-called MAMPs. So tremendous amount of input coming from the GI tract going to the brain. It doesn't surprise us that we can affect the brain. We have all kinds, you know, with, with microbiota absent in the germ-free animals, we see altered sociability. Decreased memory, increased stress response, cortisol. When you give an animal that's germ-free, LPS stress or shock, or put them on a treadmill and run them to you know, exhaustion, guess what? The animals with no bacteria cannot go as long. They cannot, they increase stress response, cortisol, ACTH, epinephrine, norepinephrine, IL-1, IL-2, all those things are altered. So again, you know, it, it goes on and on. What about clinical use of probiotics? What can we show there? Well, I think we've got three ways we can do that, right? We can either resupply beneficial microbes, giving probiotics. Again, we've got to be careful with probiotics because it's not all perfect. We can give prebiotics, good soluble fibers, and now they've shown data that insoluble fibers also affect the mi microbiome, not as dramatic. Or we can give fecal transplantation, which we do in the ICU setting with overwhelming sepsis now and with C. diff sepsis. Okay, so let's look at this study. This was done in Lund, Sweden. 
They took factory workers in the Volvo factory, that's very interesting, and they said, okay, if you take your break, half the factory that joined the study will get one red straw, which is coated with lactobacillus ruderi. The other group will get a straw with no coating, and if you drink three ounces of your drink, we'll give you a free drink during the break. But you have to drink at least three ounces of a six ounce drink. And they followed them for a year. That's the only thing they did. You got free drink at the break if you join the study. Okay? Look at this. Number of sick days were cut in half. Pretty dramatic. Prospective randomized blinded trial. How about this trial? This is done in kids in New York State, okay? They gave these kids are four to 10 months old. You know, they're fomites at the age, as you know, if you've ever had kids in a nursery school, they come home and you get everything they get, okay? They got placebo here with the green, they got lactobacillus, bifidobacterium lactis, which is not much of probiotic, probiotic activity, and lactobacillus ruderi. And look at this, clinic visits, days absent, daycare, antibiotics prescribed. The number of antibiotics prescribed during that six months was down 70% in those kids. Now, you say, well, they, come on, this is done in New York State, where if they're gonna give a kid in nursery school, a teacher has to write down if they received antibiotics. So that date is pretty solid. Days absent, a little bit gray, but if you got antibiotics, that clearly shows, because in New York State, you had to prove it. Now here's one you're never gonna figure. When I read this study in 2010 here, published in British Journal of Nutrition, which is the high quality journal, published 2009, I said, give me a break. They gave probiotics to high risk pregnancy. Remember, high risk pregnancy, over women over 38, I think it is now, coming to the high risk clinic. The bottom line is about third, you see this is glucose intolerance. About 36% of high risk pregnancies get glucose intolerance during pregnancy, during the last trimester. So what they did here was they gave probiotics versus control, right? Control group had 36% placebo, dead probiotics at 34%, and then active live probiotics at 13%. So gestational diabetes, you cut by half, by just giving probiotics during the last trimester. British Journal of Nutrition, high quality. I still didn't believe it. I said, I want to see this repeated. Well, guess what? That was a landmark study, and everybody repeated it. And now, in the journal Maternal Fetal Neonatal Medicine, which is the top journal in the, in the area, published in 2013, 189 articles, gestational diabetes reduced, metastatic fasting, maternal fasting glucose decreased, preeclampsia, CRP, all decreased. 189 articles, that's a meta-analysis. Thousands of patients. Recently just published out of New Zealand, 2017, prospective randomized trial, 423, significant decrease in gestational diabetes. So clearly, we're altering inflammatory response in a pregnant woman with this change. Pretty easy to do, inexpensive access. What about necrotizing enterocolitis? These are babies that are under four pounds, basically, under 1,500 pounds or three pounds. They have about a 20% mortality, very low birth weight babies. They're born. So we know what do they die of? Necrotizing enterocolitis. So the concept was, well, let's put back some normal flora. 
These kids have no normal flora. They're born in ICU, basically go right to the ICU on ventilators. So what do they do? They gave 560 infants, 556, five probiotics, four bifidobacterium. They simulated what a healthy, normal baby, tried to figure out what they were growing, put that back in. Neck went from nine to 5%. At my hospital now, we routinely give our very low birth weight infants bacterial infusions on day one of life. It took me four and a half years to get it through, but the pediatrician finally started saying, well, maybe there's something to this because there's an overwhelming amount of data now, okay? What about surgical infections? You know, 14 trials, 1,500 patients, decreased surgical site infections, nominated to treat 18, and GI sepsis, all these things. Again, I'm not gonna bore you with all these surgical things, but this one I want you to look at. This study is a landmark study. Okay, Nature, the best journal. I only wish I had more papers in Nature, okay? This is the kind of thing that wins a Nobel Prize. Okay, this is NIH funded, National, US National Institute of Health funded in children for, to prevent sepsis in India, which is high risk. So these are not sick babies. These are healthy babies, randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial, lactobacillus plantarum plus fructooligosaccharides. 4,000 infants, greater than 2,000 grams, so this is five pounds and above pretty much, all had at least 35 weeks gestation. So these are normal, healthy babies. Okay, they, came, this, they use WHO criteria for sepsis, NIH funded, they showed 42% reduction in sepsis in these kids. Remember, these are rural India. You can't afford big time medicine. Lactobacillus plantarum and fructooligosaccharides, one week of treatment, $1. 42% reduction in sepsis for a dollar a week. This has now been repeated with a 2000 patient study in Bangladesh. It's ongoing study now in Laos, ongoing study. I haven't got the results of that yet. So we can do this with microbiome changes. We can do, we don't need these fancy drugs. A dollar a week, decreasing sepsis. You heard it. We don't need these fancy drugs. We have a better introduction of probiotics, prebiotics, plant fibers, all more effective and safer than antibiotics. Antibiotics alter our microbiome. We need diversity. And we have the sickest population in the history of the world. We need to get back to the basics of science and health and well-being. Listen to the next part here. So what about C. diff? We, you know, we know what causes C. diff. Look at this, JAMA 2012 on antibiotic-associated diarrhea, 11,000 patients, 60% down decrease in antibiotic-associated diarrhea. Okay, what about C. diff? The first major paper decreasing C. diff, randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial, British Journal of Medicine, British Medical Journal, 135 C. diff zero versus nine at 53. That was the first big prospective trial. Look at this, the Annals of Internal Medicine, I know the medical residents carry it around their pockets, best one, best journal. We, you know, surgeons, we don't, read, we don't read the journals, we look at the pictures. 
you know. But 4,800 patients, basically 4,000 patients, what do they find here? 66% decrease in C. diff. Why is that important? C. diff can be deadly and one of the leading causes of death in, in people under the age of five, in children, is diarrhea and they get dehydrated and their gut is really under attack. Unclean water, not enough fiber, not enough whole food, starvation. I mean, there's some serious things going on in the world. Let's continue here with Dr. Robert Martindale. Okay, here is a big article just published December 2017, C. diff 1.6 from 3.9 incidents. 6,000 patient prospective trial, 19 published series, I mean, a meta-analysis. The question was here, if you start probiotics the day you start antibiotics, you do not get C. diff. If you wait three days, which is what this study showed, timing is key, okay? But what about this one? Look at this, another study. Decrease 60% risk. The more bacteria you have, the more probiotics you have, the better chance you have. This is 6,000 patients publishing in this big journal, different group. So we've got multiple patients. Do they work? Does it work? If you, this is where I work here, the big hospital in the Northwest, the big teaching hospital. We went from 2.2 incidents in the ICU, people got antibiotics down to 0.7 by just instituting probiotic protocol. Cost us about 61 cents a day. Did, remember, one episode of C. dip sepsis, 100 grand. So you can buy a lot of probiotics. But remember, you can't just use any probiotic. This is a nice study done in England where they said, okay, let's see if we can give yogurt and prevent this, okay? So they took the most common yogurt sold in England, they then screened 17,000 people at 3,000 med criteria, and they basically showed C. diff, no change. Because remember, it's a strain-specific, species-specific, so you gotta have the right species to do the effect. And I could go on and on about all these studies, sepsis, C. diff, ventilator-associated pneumonia, et cetera. But again, I won't bore you with that. A little bit on, on prebiotics. Remember, prebiotics is a substrate for the bacteria to produce. Prebiotics are, you know, these are usually soluble fibers. Probably the ultimate prebiotic is breast milk. There's a tremendous amount of prebiotic in breast milk. 15%, 15%, of the carbohydrate in breast milk cannot be absorbed by the baby. You think about that, evolutionarily, why on earth would we evolve to not let the baby absorb this nutrient produced by the mother? That nutrient is specifically not absorbed because it wants to make the right bacteria in the colon to give substrate to produce, produce increased lactobacillus, increased bifidobacteria. So Mother Nature is very smart, okay? It makes it that way. You know, the number one killer, I do a lot of work in Laos, the number one killer in the first six months of life in this world, not in the United States, but in the world, is still diarrhea diseases. So it would only make sense that if we give the right formula, mother's milk, it works. We now have one protocol where we're giving human milk sugars in the ICU in people with gut failure that come into us after multiple operations. Wow. Human milk being stronger and more effective than 
antibiotics and the ICU, one of the leading causes of death in, in humans around the world in the first six months of life is diarrhea. Well, are they consuming formulas, dairy-based formulas that alter the human biome, the microflora? And so we have to be careful and understand you can't mess around with Mother Nature. I, I wanted to share with you because he's talking so much about C. diff. In, in the book, um, <clears throat> How Not to Die, I'm just trying to fit that in here. Hold on. In the book, How Not to Die, when you jump ahead to a section on C. diff under Superbugs in Meat, page 97, Let's see if I can bring that up. Here we go. It's very interesting and actually revealing to take a look at what is going on within the microbiome. Here, hold on. Sorry about that. Okay, here we go. I can show that a little better. Okay. It's shown that in this new superbug in town, Clorestrium difficile, C. diff, it's commonly known as the most urgent bacterial threat right here, infecting an estimated quarter million Americans annually and killing thousands at a cost of a billion dollars a year. It causes a condition called pseudomembrose colitis, which is painful, crampy diarrhea. C. diff has traditionally been considered a hospital-acquired infection, something you pick up in the, in the hospital care. Okay. However, the CDC found that 42% of packaged meats that these meat products sold through three national chain grocery stores contain C. diff bacteria. This is the deadly kind of bacteria. And the United States, it turns out, has the highest reported levels of C. diff meat contamination in the world. C. diff has been found in chicken, turkey, beef, Pork contaminated has received the greatest attention and most strains are found in non-hospital-related infections. It's coming from the meat, guys. So we're, we're seeing that even, this is important right here, even at 72 degrees Celsius, which is quite high, cooking temperatures, C. diff, hold on, let me get this clear for you. C. diff can survive two hours of cooking at that temperature. You could grill chicken at the recommended cooking thermostat temperature for two hours straight and still not kill C. diff, the bug. Alcohol-based hand sanitizers kill 99%, 99.99% of all germs. However, C. diff falls into the 0.1%. They don't call it a superbug for nothing because 
hand sanitizers cannot kill it, nor at 158 degrees of cooking temperature. This, this is shocking. Why doesn't everyone get on top of the rooftop and say that hand sanitizers and eating meat is one of the leading causes of death in young people around the world? This is tragic. And we could solve it with probiotics, prebiotics, whole plant-based fibers, cutting out meat and dairy product completely and save millions of lives. That's right. Let's go a little bit further with Dr. Robert Martindale, MD, PhD, gastroenterologist, nutritional expert. Here we go. So it's a very exciting area. And we now know it's not just the soluble fibers, but in fact, the non-fermentable fibers. This is a mouse model of sepsis. We can stop and decrease sepsis, even with the non-fermentable fibers. So again, you know, fibers I can't say enough good things about. We now know these multiple papers. You can see all 2016, 2017, decrease in all-cause mortality by a high-fiber diet. Decreased diabetes, coronary heart disease, decreased cancer, et cetera, et cetera. These are very good journals, very good articles to show that. Are they safe? The bottom line is the answer is yes. We give them in our hospital to everybody. Transplant, liver transplants, everybody except bone marrow transplant just because I quit fighting with the ID guys. Okay. There's no data that hurts them, but there's no data that helps them. We know in liver transplant we decrease sepsis. So that was an easy no-brainer. The transplanter said, okay, we'll do it. So I think we've got to start thinking about changing the way we do things, bioecological control, rather than killing bacteria. One of our projects now, we just got a big grant from the Nike people, uh, Phil Knight from Nike has been very benevolent. He lives in Portland. He gave us $1 billion to study cancer. He gave us $400 million to study cardiac disease. And we've got a big project now going on with us in Combined University of Oregon. Not me a billion, it gave the university a billion. I just wish I had a billion. Anyway, uh, we now combine it. We know that if you're in certain beds in our hospital, your risk of C. diff is higher. This is a skeleton map of our hospital. You don't want to be on 14K. That's where the C. diff is. So the, the architects at the University of Oregon now are working with, what about the... Fuck, the, the, you know, remember C. diff is a spore former. Spores from C. diff can travel nine meters. So we know now we're checking ducks, we're checking this, we're checking that all over the hospital. So that's part of that big project. So I think what we can say as I finish up here, eat a wide variety of high fiber foods that'll increase your variety, okay? Increase your diversity. Try to add fermented foods when you can. Minimize your food additives, the sweeteners, the stabilizers, you know, the, the emulsifiers, the pesticides. Locate a good source of local probiotics. Don't spend a lot of money. You don't have to spend a lot of money. They're not key. Okay, daily intake with a good prebiotic whenever you can, hopefully as vegetables and fruits. Okay, remember that watch out with some of these claims. A lot of probiotic claims are pure quackery. Association to disease does not mean a causation. We gotta be careful there. We, remember, we gotta look at the science. We can't just go with some crazy article from some crazy journal. Remember, more bacteria, 
does not automatically mean it's better. Thank you very much. Okay, so what we've established is a variety, once again, from our world experts, a variety of whole natural foods plays a huge role in health and longevity. And I'm the first to say that we, we need to take into account health, lifestyle medicine, biodiversity, all of these things play a huge role in health and well-being. But the hospitals, the medical community, a vast majority of the world is ignoring this valuable, incredible findings. And yes, if we just simply go and get rid of the animal-based, meat-based, dairy-based diets, I know it's a big leap, but it's going to make the difference in all the world to reduce most infectious and chronic diseases. I know it, it, it almost sounds too good to be true. How could all this information really, really uh, make sense? But when we get involved with health and longevity, we start to realize that, wow, wait a minute, maybe we missed the whole point. Maybe we missed it. And now we got a chance to redeem ourselves. Maybe we can understand why so many people are confused. Here we go. Let's, let's see what we have to say on this. So note. what does the science say about these protocols? And what does the impact of these types of diets have on our gut microbiome? And I think that's where I would start, to be honest with you, is to look at the impact that these diets have on our gut microbiome, because that's what I'm here to talk about, and that's my area of expertise. But I also want to share some of the layers of evidence that exist going beyond the gut, because to me, you can't prove anything with just one study. You know, as a scientist, what I want to know is I want to know the full, complete information, and then I want to see what the general, like, where are things pointing for us? And I want to see all the layers. If all the layers are pointing in one direction, then we have, we have scientific power. And so when it comes to the gut microbiome, one of my favorite studies right there with the American Gut Project is a study from 2014 that frankly for me was a, big, was a game changer in my quest to change my diet. You know, up to this point, I was just kind of leveling up, making some small changes. But when I saw this study, it really made me say, you know, I just don't think there's any role for animal products at all when it comes to the gut microbiome. So let me tell you about the study. It's the authors were Lawrence David, who's at Duke, and Peter Turnbaugh, who's at University of California, San Francisco. It was published in Nature, the top medical journal in the world. Um, and effectively what they did is they took a group of people and you know, let me say this, like they're not a part, this was not done as part of the diet wars. Mm -hmm. All right. These are extremely high level microbiome researchers who were trying to prove in humans what we have seen in animals for years, but had never to this point proven that this was possible in a human being. Okay. So now we accept some of these things as, as true, but this was 2014. They took a group of people they put them on five days of a completely plant-based diet. 
And then those same people would cycle over to five days of a completely animal-based diet or vice versa. Some people started on the animal-based diet first, but they wanted to see what's the effect on the microbiome. So they measured the microbiome every single day. And what they saw in both cases was that in less than 24 hours, you can actually change your gut microbiome. Your dietary changes that you've made, like what, what you had for lunch today is already changing your gut microbiome. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because it is evolving so quickly in a way that's hard for us to fathom. Every 20 minutes, there is a new generation of microbes. In one day, in one day, you have f at least 50 new generations of microbes that have evolved. That's like in one day, they're doing human evolution that would take us all the way back to the pyramids. Yeah. Wow. And so they're, they're changing dynamically very quickly. And um, so what they saw was when people were on five days of a completely plant-based diet, your gut adapts to what you are eating. And when you're on a plant-based diet, you generate microbes that are really good at breaking down fiber. And as a result, you have what are categorically described as anti-inflammatory microbes that are capable of producing these short chain fatty acids that I was heralding earlier in our conversation. Okay. So basically you eat the fiber, you get more microbes and they want to reward you with short chain fatty acids. So you get more of those. Mm. The alternative with the animal-based diet, to me, when I saw this in 2014, I found it disturbing what I was reading. In literally five days, you are seeing, number one, the disappearance and reduction of those microbes that are anti-inflammatory. You are seeing, no surprise, the loss of short-chain fatty acids. If you don't eat fiber, which animal products have zero fiber, if you don't consume fiber, you don't get the benefit of these short-chain fatty acids. And instead, we saw different types of bacteria emerge. Bacteria that we would describe in science as being bilophilic. What this means is they like bile, bile from your liver. Bile from your liver comes in response to fat. It's meant to help you to digest and absorb fat in your diet. But bile actually changes the microbiome. When we consume a high animal fat diet, this bile starts to change the microbiome. And what we see are the emergence of these bacteria that thrive in that environment, less of the anti-inflammatory. And these ones we describe as inflammatory. So for example, one specific bacteria that we saw emerging during this five-day period is something called Biophila wadsworthia. And Biophila wadsworthia is known to produce hydrogen and sulfide which has been strongly connected, this particular bacteria, to the, to the development of inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's mm. and ulcerative colitis. Mm. We also saw more microbes that are really good at taking the bile and transforming it into what we call secondary bile salts. So like, look, we all produce bile. It's a part of who we are. But what we don't want is having microbes that are gonna take that bile and actually use it against us and turn it into these secondary bile salts, which are carcinogens. Hmm. They have been strongly connected to the development 
of colon cancer, the number two cause of cancer death in the United States. And it's no surprise that colon cancer, you know, just like kind of looking at some of the broader evidence, colon cancer is connected to red meat consumption mm-hmm. and to processed meat consumption. So we see these changes, but, you know, perhaps the most uh, alarming change was in just five days, they actually saw antibiotic resistance within the gut microbes on this animal-based diet. You say, gosh, what's the deal there? Is that because the the animal products are are antibiotic-laden themselves? Exactly. 80% of the antibiotics in the United States are not administered to humans. Tons and tons and tons of antibiotics are being administered to the livestock as a part of animal agriculture. And what this is showing is that it's becoming a breeding ground for antibiotic resistance. You know, if this COVID-19 thing is scary to you, let me tell you what's way scarier than COVID-19. A world where antibiotics don't work. Because that would be taking us back to 1900 before we had penicillin. And in 1900, the top five causes of death, heart disease wasn't in the top five. Hmm. The top five causes of death were infections. And this is why people were living only on average to be about 50 years old. Yeah, that's, that's a scary thing. But I think we're, we're inevitably headed in that direction if we don't course correct with the extent to which people are eating you know, animals that are so antibiotic laden. It's, it, it seems like a natural byproduct that we would develop um, resistance to that. We're creating a system. We're creating a system that where it is like the definition of short-term gain and long-term loss because the animals receive the antibiotic, not because they're sick, they receive it because the studies show that they will gain 15% more weight, which by the way, scientifically speaking, that's because you're destroying their microbiome. Mm -hmm. When you destroy a person's microbiome, they gain weight. So, but you know, So did you hear that? When you destroy a person's microbiome, giving them antibiotics, you gain weight. Well, people don't want to gain weight. They want to get heavier, but the microbiome helps to metabolize foods and helps to increase energy and mitochondria and all the important things. So life has its way of biting us back when we eat the wrong foods, and we don't get the right su- herbal supplements and whole organic nutrients. It's really important. Uh, this next part coming up, uh, please uh, stay with me here. The point from my perspective is even if you go, okay, well, we're going to, we'll, we'll go antibiotic free then. We'll, we'll stop this practice of giving 80% of our, you know, 80% of our antibiotics to the cattle and we'll go antibiotic free. It does not change, Rich, even if you go grass fed, free range, it does not change the biology of these high saturated fat, the high saturated fat content that you get from the animal products that causes a disturbance and alteration of the gut microbiome, which causes dysbiosis. Where does TMAO come into play with that? TMAO, which by the way, was not studied in the 2014 study that I mentioned because it wasn't really on our radar at that time. TMAO, just to define for your listeners in case they haven't heard about this, TMAO is produced by microbes in our gut, okay? Our microbes will produce TMA when they come into contact with carnitine, carnitine that you find in red meat or also in energy drinks, 
um, or choline, which you will find in high fat dairy, eggs, and meat, and, and also some plants. And so when these microbes in our gut come into contact with those things, carnitine and choline, they can potentially produce TMA, which gets transformed into TMAO by the liver. And TMAO is, I mean, honestly, very disturbing. It has been connected to the development of coronary artery disease, our number one killer, to stroke, a top 10 killer, to chronic kidney disease, a top 10 killer. Okay. And so TMAO, what's fascinating about it is that you can actually train your microbiome and make it incapable of producing it. But the way that you do that is the elimination of animal products. They had a study where they looked at a vegan and this vegan in the name of science agreed to eat steak. And when they fed a steak to this vegan, there was no TMAO. They were incapable of producing it. When they fed that same steak to someone who is an omnivore, they spiked their TMAO levels 600%. Now, here's the issue. Your gut, in all cases, whether it's for better or for worse, your gut is adaptable and it will change. And so if you take a group of vegans and you start giving them carnitine and choline, whether it be in supplement form or they start consuming animal products, mm -hmm. they'll start producing in about four weeks, they'll start producing TMAO. So the gut will adapt and start to produce it. And this is, you know, when we think about, when we think about the long-term risks of a animal product, meat heavy diet. The TMAO is a biomarker illustrating for us the connection between these foods and some of our top killers, heart disease, stroke, chronic kidney disease. And it's no coincidence that you will find these same foods in population-based studies to also be connected to these same outcomes. Hmm. And this to me, Rich, is why, so let me, let me say this. When I hear people give anecdotes that they healed their autoimmune disease on one of these diets, I don't doubt you. I don't think, I don't think you're making this up, okay? I want to see more studies. But here's what I think about that. There are 10,000 food additives in our processed foods. Those processed foods for most Americans are more than 50% of their caloric intake. When you eliminate those processed foods, when you eliminate those processed foods, you potentially may heal your immune system. That, that by itself is a step in the right direction. But the problem is that are you going to pay the price when you consume one of these diets over 10, 20, 30, 40 years? I'm concerned that with the loss of diversity within the diet, you are causing harm to your microbiome. And that may come very early in the process. But in the long run, I don't view these diets as promoting longevity or promoting health span. You're not going to live longer because you eat a 100% meat diet. That's the issue. 
I'm worried about the risks of heart disease, stroke, chronic kidney disease as you age, and it may shorten your life expectancy, Mm -hmm. which by the way, is what we see in population-based studies when they study a low-carb diet. It's a shortened life expectancy. Okay, so a shortened life expectancy on these low-carbohydrate, high-animal-based diets, you, you, you totally need to be aware you need to be clear. You want to live longer, be healthier, stronger, and fit. You go on a plant-based whole foods diet. That's right. That's the way to a, go. A vegan plant-based diet. I mean, like, you know, I, I want to separate out that you could be vegan and eat a junk food vegan diet, and that's not a very healthy diet. Sure. Right? So, but a, a plant, a 100% whole food plant-based diet, when they did an analysis of this, that was the most nutritionally complete diet. And the, the, the deficiency that exists is really B12, which is so easy to supplement. Mm. And you would argue that omnivores should be supplementing because when they've studied omnivores, about 40% of them are either deficient or borderline deficient in B12. So they should be taking the supplement too. And it's so easy. Let's talk a little bit about... um... All right, everyone. I think you got the idea. The gut is critical to your good health. Please be clear. When I reviewed the literature for the last 44 years and studied with some of the great scientists and educators, my opinion has become stronger in the commitment to eating a whole food plant-based diet stronger in every which way and as i reach for one of my earlier cookbooks that i wrote how to look great and feel sexy i've been teaching for 44 years and this book came out a number of years ago and it's still one of the best cookbooks ever done oil-free sugar-free it's the way to go folks all plant-based with biodiversity and fiber so I hope you've enjoyed today's session on St. Patrick's Day. I'm a trooper. I'm keeping you informed. Love you. Check out our open enrollment coaching program, coaching eligibility at nickdelgado.com. That's nickdelgado.com. Listen to what we have to share with you. It'll change your life. And we guarantee it. It's going to be a breakthrough for you. And those of you who want to improve your blood circulation, your health, your well-being, and learn about all the latest in science and well-being. Thanks, everyone. That was an amazing show. And now I want to put it all together for you. How do you locate these incredible natural herbs, organic, the best, designed to help you to improve your hormonal balance, give you energy, help you to look and feel great? DocNutrients.com. This is our sponsor. There is a special quiz. Please take the immune system quiz, and it's going to give you some incredible feedback and ideas about how to strengthen your immune system during these troubling times. Be well. It's 2021, and we're here to support you.